seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Jeremiah chapter 18 and reading for our text, verse 6. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Jeremiah 18 and verse 6, specifically the words in the middle, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand. So are ye in mine hand. Continue this evening with the theme of the illustration of vessels in the word of God. But this evening it is the forming of those vessels by the potter. It is not a solid lump of clay, but it's a hollowed out one that is set before us here. A vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Now in this account, we have Jeremiah brought down to the potter's house But before he was to hear the words of the Lord, he was to watch and he was to see what the potter was doing. I was thankful that when I was, I suppose, 12, 13, we did pottery for a couple of years at school and throughout our house we still got some of those pots that I made and various other things, fired and glazed, and we've still got them in the home. But we used to use the wheels, so I know what it is to sit at a wheel, to have a lump of clay, and to put that on the wheel, and at first it's off-centre, and if you're not careful, it will go flying off the room. But the potter puts it on the centre and with his two hands he then brings it so that it is spinning central upon the wheel. It is not fighting him, not trying to fly off. And then once that is so and using water to lubricate the hands, he uses both of his hands to fashion and to form that clay, putting pressure on it and watching it closely and drawing that clay up. And then he gets to a time, especially if it's a vessel that is being made, it's got to be hollowed. So then he will put his fingers into the centre of it while still holding the outside and gradually hollows it and makes it to have a hollow. So he ends up one hand inside and one hand outside of the spinning pot and raising it up. Now, of course, when we were learning what is set forth here often used to happen. 
the pot was marred. We'd do something wrong, we'd press too hard, we would end up with the clay flying off or being ruined. We had to then bash it down, make it to a lump again, centre it again and then make up another pot. And this is what Jeremiah was seeing. He was seeing this potter sitting, working with this wheel, this plate spinning and the clay on it and the clay spinning and his hands around it and forming this pot. And the potter had complete say over what was done with that clay. The clay, it didn't have a mind to do what it wanted. In a skillful potter, the potter could do just what he wanted. So Jeremiah, he sees this. And then when he's seen it, then the word of the Lord came to him. And the message from the Lord is that he can do with Israel the same as this potter was doing to the clay. He could make one vessel, a goodly vessel. He could keep it. He could break it down. He could make another. He had complete sovereignty over it. And he is setting before Jeremiah and before this people the Lord's sovereignty. But what is very interesting in this, the Lord's sovereignty does not mean that there is to be a fatalistic spirit. Just because the Lord has a sovereign plan and purpose doesn't then take away from the people of God that they are to listen to the word of God, obey the word of God and do what he directs them to. And this is very evident from the context here. Israel had gone away from the Lord. They departed from the Lord. The Lord was sending his word to bring them back. The Lord was using his word to bring them back, to form them aright, as it were. But what a solemn reaction they had to it. They were saying, There is no hope. There is no hope. What a solemn thing in a day when the Lord is speaking to a people. A day when he's setting before them a right way, a good way. And yet their reaction is that even though the Lord is saying this, there is no hope. You always remember that Our Lord is the God of hope and it is a good hope through grace the way that God saves his people. And the very gospel that is sent forth, it was sent forth with the words on earth, peace, goodwill toward men an expectation of life. The Lord saying, I am come, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The Lord saying, the Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, 
but to save them. And in this chapter, they're speaking of God's sovereignty and election and his uh, hand over Israel. There is set before them hope, not despair. In election, there is hope. Without it, there is not. Without the Lord's work, there is not hope. Without the gospel, there is no hope. The election hath obtained it, the rest were blinded. But here is the people of God, and we think of the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, explaining more uh, clearly these doctrines of the sovereign choice of God. He says, why is it that all Israel are not saved? He says that they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Not all just because they are Israelites means that they are saved and redeemed people. There were many that were destroyed. There were many that rejected the Lord. Many that the wrath of the Lord came upon. So we ought not to think in anything that I may say concerning the potter that there is a word to a people that then they can say, well, we, we, we don't need to heed that word and we can just reject that word. May we always remember the Lord has said to his people, I'll instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse and the mule whose mouth must be held in by bit and bridle. It is by the word of the Lord that the Lord directs and forms and guides his people. Now, I want to look at this illustration, thinking of the Lord as our potter and what direct teaching we may have here of how the Lord forms a people, forms a vessel, a vessel for himself. In Isaiah chapter 64, we read in verse 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. And, and may we bear that in mind as we look at some points this evening. Here again, what is said here. This is the testimony of Israel. This is the testimony of the people of God. And may it be ours. Thou art our Father we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Under thy forming hand, O God, give me the frame thou likest best. I want to look then at, at several points. Firstly, we are God's creation. 
created unto good works. That potter, when he finished his pot, if someone came along and said, why, you haven't made that. He said, I did. I sat there at the wheel and I made it. What a solemn thing that men will say that God did not make the worlds. He did not make man. But then we come to what man is as a new creation, as born again of the Spirit. And sometimes you get those who say, oh, we believe in creation, God made the world. We believe in that, but, but when it comes to a new creature and making us, oh no, 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 no that's our will. We, we choose the Lord and we, we do it. No, as much as the world was without form and void and the Lord began and the Lord created that, so it is with the people of God, created unto good works that God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. He is our creator. You think of that clay, just a lump of clay. And we are of the clay. We are of the dust. And we are dead in sin. A natural man receives not the th things of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And yet under the hand of God, he makes one that does hear his voice, but does obey him that does reflect his glory, that is what he would have that person to be. May we remember this, as the pot is the potter's creation, so God's people are his creation, created in Christ Jesus. A new creation, not a renovated old one. Behold, I make all things new, and you must be born again, a new creation. But we have a creator. And what an encouragement to each one that knows this change in their hearts, who say with John Newton, I'm not now what I once was. We could add this word, if that is the case, you have a creator. You have one that formed you to be that you are. Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But then next, he is sovereign over all that he does with us. 
It was God that chose that Abraham, he would call him out of Ur of the Chaldees. It was God that chose that Jacob should be the one that went down into Egypt and all his family. It was God that chose Moses to bring his people up out of Egypt. It was God that chose David of all Jesse's sons that he should be the king over Israel. All these characters in the word of God. The Apostle Paul, Peter, all his disciples. The Lord sovereignly appointed to them each one their place and what they would do, where they would be, where they would go. First, he appointed them to be called by grace, that they would know him, And then he gave them a position and a work to do. Jeremiah here, he says that I have formed thee from the womb and appointed thee uh, to speak to the nations. God is sovereign. We might like to think, man likes to think, he is in control. He is the master. Sometimes when things go hard, you might think, well, why wasn't our lot like this person's? And why could not we have the path that he is walking? That God is sovereign. The God that permitted Satan to reduce Job so low and yet brought him up again so his latter end was better than the beginning. Maybe in your life and mine, there's things you struggle with at the moment. Things that you question. Things you think, if only I'd done that or this. And yes, we can rightly uh, be cross with ourselves when we realise we've resisted the word of God. We've walked in wrong ways, forbidden ways, but blessed be God where he chastens and where he brings back. The way of transgressors is hard. David could look back and think of his path and all the trouble that he's brought to his father's house. But it was that same sovereign God that took him from the sheepcoats and made him the king and blessed him, that redeemed him and that restored him again after he'd fallen. And all that he'd done and all in his life, the Lord sovereignly ordered it. Or would you and I like to be in control of our own lives? Would we like to be the one that decided what we should be, where we should go, what skills we had, what afflictions we had, what trials we had, what friends, relatives or enemies we had? How would we begin to choose an appointed? But we have a sovereign God and he decides. And it's a blessed thing where we can say with Isaiah, say with the people of God, he is our potter, we are the clay.
And we are willing that he should be the sovereign and not to pull him down from his throne. The next thing I bring before you is that we are vessels that are formed for himself. In Isaiah 43, we have this word in 21. This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. Now, when I was at school, the things that I did on the wheel, I was forming for myself. We could take them home. I've got them at home. I remember the master one day saying to me of one pot that I'd made, he said, I'm sorry, he said, but he said, I doubt you'll end up with that at home. I said, why? He said, because I think he said someone will swipe that. Someone will come along and they'll, they'll, they'll take it. Well, they didn't. I've got it at home. But that can never happen with the Lord for his people. The Lord says in John 10 that his people are held in his hand and none shall pluck them from his hand nor his father's hand. But we know this as well that we can go round the local nurseries round here and you can see many, many pots and you think, the potter that made them did not make them for himself. He made them to be sold. He made them for other people, not himself. But with the Lord, he has formed them for himself. And that is a beautiful thought, isn't it? That when the Lord is forming us and dealing with us, it's not to be for someone else is not even to be as scaffolding it's actually the vessel and it's for him and it's for his praise for some place in heaven for the prepared mansions that he has for his people that's what he's forming his people for a vessel formed for himself and it's a beautiful thought. Every one of the people of God, the Lord is not just saying, well, it doesn't matter if that vessel is not very perfect because I'm going to give it to this person or that person. But this is going in my house. It's going to be used by me. It's going to reflect my praise. My name is going to be on it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to say, this people... This people have I formed for myself. He's not going to disown them and put someone else's name on it. No. We're vessels formed for himself. Another aspect of the forming is that the potter always has both of his hands on that clay. You need it balanced. You can't put pressure on one side of the pot and nothing on the other. It just 
go flying straight off. It's, it's got to be balanced. It's got to be on, on both sides. And whether inside and outside is always an, an opposite to the, the, to the pressure. Really the potter is not doing two things at once. I know the Lord can and the Lord does. He's working with all of his people at once. But that which he's doing, Job, it was said to him, dost thou know the balancing of the clouds? The Lord knows more than the potter that if he does not balance what he does with his people, they will be broken. They will not be formed aright. Have we noticed in our lives what Job was taught, the balancing of the clouds, the trouble, the trial, the difficulty, but the tree put into those bitter waters and it can be partaken of? A disappointment on one hand, an encouragement on the other hand, an affliction on one hand and something that balances it on the other. Do we notice those things? They're both the Lord's hand. The Lord's hand that brings the affliction, the Lord's hand that brings the blessing, that balances it. And the timing of it, coming together, working together, we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. His hands are upon us. You know, when the ark of God went through the land of the Philistines, they had affliction. Everywhere it went, they said the hand of the Lord was upon them. When the Egyptians were following after the Israelites through the Red Sea and the Lord took off their chariot wheels, they said that the hand of the Lord is fighting for Israel. They had that sense of that. But do we as the people of God have a sense of the Lord's hand upon us? Whether it be affliction and that which is balancing that affliction, tribulation, and that which is balancing it, the helps that are by the way, those things that show that the Lord is not meaning to crush us. Later on with Jeremiah, Lamentations of Jeremiah, you see that right through. He doesn't crush underfoot the children of men. No, he remembers that we are but dust. And the potter, he remembers the clay. The clay needs careful working, careful forming. Otherwise, it will be destroyed. Another aspect with the potter, the potter never takes his eyes off the wheel. I remember times when we were doing it at school and there's plenty of distractions, but you looked aside your hands moved with it and your vessel is marred. The eyes of the potter is always watching and you know it's watching how that clay is actually responding to his pressure. 
And if it's being squeezed up too quick, if it's moving too quick, he eases off on it. He's all the time noticing. We might think the Lord doesn't notice what our trials are doing to us. He doesn't notice the effect. He doesn't notice all of our sorrows, our tears, our cries, but he does. As a heavenly potter, he doesn't take his eyes off his people. His eyes are open unto their, are open and ears are open unto their cries. He sees them. He sees us, says the hymn writer, when we see not him and always hears our cry. Thou God seest me, says Hagar. He knew where she was. And that wasn't in a terrifying way. It was a way of comfort. The Lord saw her and knew and came to her and helped her. Our potter, our heavenly potter, his eyes never leave that which he is forming and creating. One of the things that we said at the beginning was that the potter centres the clay on the wheel. He makes it so it's not fighting him, not going to fly off. So that it's running central and concentrically. You know, when the Lord finds his people, he says of Saul of Tarsus, it's hard for thee to kick against the bricks. Like that clay at first, trying to click and move. But in the end, he wasn't kicking. He was submissive. He was running with it. But at first, we can kick and resist. But that one of the first things the potter does is to bring that clay into submission, central, really, in a spiritual way, central on Christ, centering on the Lord. Bring that person to be subdued and under his hand. And the other thing, when he's starting to form it as a vessel, we said how he begins to put his fingers in and open it up so that it's hollow inside. And how we need our hearts open to the word. Mine ear hath he opened. If eventually there's going to be put in a vessel something of value, then it needs to be opened up so that can be put in. And how vital it is that we be made teachable, that our hearts opened. You know, Lydia, that's what was said of her, wasn't it? Whose heart the Lord opened. And they paid heed to the words that were spoken. It is a vital work of the Lord in forming his people. We said of this passage here, the way the Lord forms and directs his people is through the word of God. We mustn't think that just because we have a type of the potter here 
that it follows through in how the Lord forms his people is by forcing them or working in a way that is outside them. The whole context here and throughout the word of God, my sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me. And as the heavenly potter is forming his people, it is by his word, it is by his instruction, by his teaching, by his guidance, all that he does with them is through the word and through providence and through his work and through his hand upon them, through the preaching of the word, through the written word, through prayer, through supplication. It is those ways the Lord uses to form his people. And so he opens their hearts. He makes them receptive. He makes them willing. He makes them teachable. They shall all be taught of God. We said then of when he forms that vessel and he starts to form it, then he has one hand inside and one hand outside. I thought what a beautiful illustration that is where the Lord is working in the heart, in his people, but he's working outside in providence in their lives as well. Both things are working together. Many of the Psalms, you read the Psalm and that's what's going on inside. Sometimes over the top of the Psalm, it tells you what has been going on outside. The time when David was recognised when he made himself as if he was mad before Abimelech, fearing for his life, Psalm 34. We're told that what is happening outside, but then inside, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his troubles. We're told what's going on inside. Have we got those two parts? to our experience, to our religion, what is going on inwardly, what is going on outwardly. The heart knoweth its own bitterness, stranger doth not intermeddle with his joys. Those things that work together for good. John 6, we have one day the miracles of the loaves and the fishes, their bodies were fed, they received to the benefit and miracle of the Lord there. The next day it's all on a spiritual teaching. Except you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, there is no life in you. The two things, they, they go together. The day following it was, how many times has it been? The day following something's happened in their lives, we come into the house of God and the Lord's been an interpreter. Or the Lord has given us his word in his house and the day following there are those things that happen and we realise why the word was sent. Why it was uppermost in our mind. Had those times in my workplace more than once where something has come unexpected in the week that's not unexpected with the Lord. Immediately I remember what has been preached, what has been heard on the Lord's day the Lord knew what was coming and he gave me beforehand the word and how to answer and how to react. 
And that's very confirming, very strengthening. The Lord is working in two places, inside, outside. A heart prepared, a heart taught. And providence and grace, they go together. There's another aspect of that which is done inside and outside. The potter starts off with his lump of clay, it might be quite low, but he's going to form that into a vessel that high and he's going to hollow it out. And as he's forming that, hand inside and out, he's bringing it up. He is moving it upwards. And you know, that clay is going opposite to gravity. Gravity would go down. But he's making this mass of this clay go up with his hands. And that again is a blessed thing with the work of the Lord. It doesn't lead down to the earth. Old nature pulls down to that. The world pulls down to that. But the work of the Lord it directs upward and it directs to where the Lord is. And may we see that effect as well, that as the Lord works through his word and as we are formed, that we are directed and drawn. That's what the potter is doing, he's drawing that pot upward. The Lord said, no man can come unto me Except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. There's another thing. As that pot is made, this stage is in it, and someone just passing by could look at the pot at one stage and say, well, that's a lovely pot. I like that. That's finished, isn't it? No, 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 it's not finished yet. At the moment, all it is, it may be a straight up and down cylinder, hollow downs. And we think, well, that's finished. But the pot says, what is it? No, no, it's not finished. I want to make it like this. I'm going to shape it to a different shape. It's going to be the smaller at the bottom. It's going to come out wider. It's got to hold something. Not going to be a straight vase, it's going to be a pot to put something in it. How easy we can think that the Lord, the heavenly potter's work is finished. But it's not. I sometimes think of this in going into the old people's homes. They think, well, these people, they, they finish their work in their church. They cannot be a deacon or a mother in Israel in the church and doing their, what they've done for many, many years. But the work of grace is not done. And their witness on earth is not done. And their patience is not done that the world and the church sees in their latter days a people waiting for the Lord, submissive to his hand. We might think our work is done, but the Lord says no. May we not limit the Lord. May we not think, well, that is sufficient. That is, that is good enough. 
is nice enough. The Lord says, no. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. And I know the designs that I have for you. The Lord said to Peter that when he was old, another should carry him whither he would not, and he would stretch forth his hands. This signifying in what way he would glorify God in his death, in his death. And we think of the martyrs. We think of those that the Lord was using, forming them, like Stephen, the first martyr, to show forth the Lord's praise and it be recorded to the church to the end of time what that dear man did. His testimony, his knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and of Christ's coming, his obedience unto death, his seeing the Lord standing to receive him in heaven. How vital that was. Moses might have thought, well, all that the Lord is going to use me for is in Pharaoh's household and as a shepherd for 40 years. But the Lord's work for him was in the last 40 years of his life. We might think our life's work is behind us. The Lord says, no, your life's work is in front of you. The Lord is sovereign in that. Remember when exercised on the ministry and the years went by and I read the account of Fred Winbridge and he tried to go in the ministry before the time that the Lord was sending him. He had to stop. He thought, well, my life is going away. He got to 54 years of age. But then the Lord did call him and he preached to within a week of his death at 94. He had 40 years in the ministry. But he thought in his own mind that his days were gone. His, his usefulness was gone. But the Lord had different ideas. The Lord is as sovereign as the potter forming his people he doesn't stop when they think he should stop. He doesn't stop when others think that he should stop. But he stops when he's made that vessel, that person, that one of whom he had suffered, bled and died on Calvary, that one that he'd chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world, that one that he loved with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness draw them. He would continue that work. Because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Having purchased them, they are his own, to do with him as he will, with them as he will. They are his purchased possession. We are not our own. Paul says that. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, wherefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. The potter here, he forms them, and he forms it for himself. 
may we be able to go back and say again that which Isaiah sets forth of his people. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. And the words of our text, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.